Duct tape was invented a long time before you were born by somebody really smart. The end. Well, as former Navy SEAL Fred Rogers would say, it is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Hi, I'm your host, Dean Martin, and you're listening to the Harmacast. And no, Mr. Rogers was not a Navy SEAL or a Marine sniper, as some fantastically entertaining urban legends would espouse, but uh, just a mild-mannered host of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, Speaking of mild-mannered, today's interview is with uh, Coach Jerry Geis. And Jerry may seem mild-mannered from the outside, but uh, under closer scrutiny, she is obviously not afraid to bark orders to 100-plus men to get what she wants out of them, and that is more specifically not just tell the story of the of the song lyric, but to actually immerse yourself in and live the lyric of that song. I have enjoyed uh, being coached by her with the harmonizers here the last couple months, and you are going to enjoy the fascinating story of her life in today's interview, so stick around. It's true, dear, I love but you, dear. That's why I told the moon and stars I'm so in love. I told the whippoorwill, told the daffodil, just how pretty you smile. Yes, I told them all about you. I told them. We are pleased to have on the line today one of the Harmonizer coaches, Jerry Geis. Jerry is a professional actress, singer, dancer, and has been coaching now for uh, 28 years. Uh, I only met Jerry several months ago, but she has a long history with the Harmonizers, and I wanted to get to know her a little better and, in turn, let you guys get to know her a little better. She has kind of a unique perspective she brings to the coaching table. So, Jerry, welcome to the show today. How are you doing? Hi, Dean. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jerry. How did you get started uh, acting, singing, dancing? Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about that history. Well, I was born in Canada, and I started singing. My my uh, family tells me at three I would sing to anybody I could, I could find. I would uh, put on shows and charge my friends to come and see me, and I'd go to the theater, and I'd remember every number and what have you and i started in children's theater my father became um the uh, chairman of the dominion drama festival in canada and uh had access to a lot of that and i started getting a little bit more serious in plays and uh, i went there and i won the best actress award juvenile actress award when i was 15 in canada did a couple movies there uh then moved to the states with my family to Greenwich, Connecticut, and a lady there who was a, uh, a writer on Broadway was writing a, a little musical and asked me to audition for it. Didn't tell me she had used me as, as the subject matter. <laughs> and, of course, I, I got the lead because <laughs> I kind of fit the part. Um, and then I was seen in Greenwich by um, a friend of Helen Hayes and was asked to audition at the American Academy of dramatic arts in New York, and uh, which I did. That school, and uh, probably the reason I'm so tough with the harmonizers is that school, every day you went to school, someone was released. Someone was told they could go home. Is that right? Yeah, you start out with 30, 380 kids, and 100, and, I mean, 85 are chosen to come back the following year. And in, in the, as you're going through school, you get called into the office and told, even though you've paid your audition, money which is a lot uh you're told that you just don't don't have the the talent and you leave so the pressure is on you all the time to be better and better and better and you just don't fool around which is not such a bad idea 
And it, it makes you become professional right away. I mean, it, you just learn that, you know, what you have to do, and you just don't, you don't abuse it. Um, I graduated from there. was never going to get married. <laughs> I was going to be an actress. And I met my husband, Royal, uh, who was a Marine jet pilot. And the rest is history. So I just started uh, very young and have continued uh, in Hawaii. I did a lot of shows there. I did shows in Southern California. Every place I uh, Royal was stationed, I, I did shows. Um, when Stacy, my only daughter, our only daughter, who is uh, a U.S. attorney um, in San Francisco environmental, I, I kind of gave it up a bit, you know, so I could be a good mom. But I still, when she was little, I would do shows at night because I could put her to bed. And uh, when Royal was in Vietnam, which he was for uh, three times, I would always act just to keep my keep myself sane, you know, and have someone look after Stacy at night. But I've just kept it up. And uh, when I was first asked to work with the harmonizers, they were desperate. They had come in sixth. They had thought they were going to win that year. It was in 1984. Royal had just joined. And he had a meeting at the house. And if you ever come here, you'll see the only place I show what I've done all my life is in my bathroom. It's kind of like a me room. <laughs> One of the bathrooms and all these pictures of me. Someone went in there and didn't come out for about 20 minutes. <laughs> came out and I know, came out and said, uh, "Could you help us?" And I said, "Oh God, I don't know. You know, I'm kind of Broadway." And I did help them that year, and they won a gold medal. So I guess I did something right. <laughs> <laughs> well, how how much coaching had you done with other groups before you coached the harmonizers? None. Is that right? Absolutely none. Yep. I was an actress. I was, you know, performing. And right. I didn't realize I could do it. Uh, but I was so well-trained that uh, at the academy, you have to learn everything. Uh, history and, you know, backstage and lighting and, and uh, how to become a director and how to become a, a performer and how to do everything. And I was so well-trained that when I just kind of switched on that other part of me, I, I really knew what I was talking about. And it worked with them, and it wasn't so far off. Um, I, I kind of, uh, uh, I'm very edgy. <laughs> I like to push, you know, the button, and um, I think I shocked the, harm, uh, the whole society a, a few times. I mean, a, a barbershop course opening up with ascots, you know, with wee small hours, and smoking jackets. I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get left out of the society. And uh, they loved it. So... Uh, and they, and of course they won, you know. So I, I've learned the rules now, and I try to try to get them to go as far as they can to entertain the audience, you know, without, you know, not not obeying the rules. It's interesting thinking about your performance career and you know how all those skill sets carried over into uh, into performing barbershop, both in especially in the chorus, but. I've thought since I joined the society several years ago that, you know, acting lessons would probably benefit me as much as uh, as singing 
in that uh, communicating the song and really being able to connect with the audience is so important in uh, in what we do. In fact, uh, Tom Metzger, Real Time Bass, has a great website that I enjoy frequenting, uh, Owning the Stage, where he pulls information from all the performing arts and really integrates, you know, explains how you know importance that is in integrating that into your uh, into your performance in order to uh, really sell the song and really communicate with the audience. What what is it about it, uh, about your own acting career and performance uh, skills set that you think are most important uh, or the most important elements to integrate into uh, barbershop? Well, I always try to give I give scenarios, as you know, not that you have to follow them. 100%, but to give you an idea where you are, why you're doing it, and who you are. I believe in attitude and, um, and uh, character. And I, and I try to give the guys who are singing the song, the character of the song, the attitude of the song, who you are. And so that right away you're telling a story. I don't believe that we are storytellers, though. I believe if you tell a story, you never get involved because it's always... It, that guy that did it, not me. And I believe you have to be the one to be living the story. Therefore, you get a different dynamic, a different dimension on stage that comes across to the audience, vulnerability and honesty, um, that a lot of barbershoppers don't know how to do, don't get that across. They're still singing to the director or they're just singing a song. We live a song. I believe in living a song. And I think that's incredibly important. Even in uh, uptunes, the guys are always somebody. I mean, they know who they are when they're singing an uptune, uh, why they're there, what they're doing, etc. And then you tend to bring the audience on stage with you and share rather than having that block in front of you uh, that doesn't let them come on stage or doesn't let you go out to them. I really believe that's vulnerability and um, and believing in the song and being the song. Now, I'm going to show my uh, acting ignorance, but I've heard you mention several times that... Uh, you know, I don't want you to, to manufacture a look or manufacture something. I guess uh, my question is, how do you, because the audience is so far away, how do you act, look natural and have that vulnerability uh, and have it project out into the audience at, 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 at some distance? Probably my visualization and emotional plans. Um, you have to know the song backwards. You have to know everything about the song. It's just like if you take a script and you learn the character you're supposed to portray. You have to do that with the song. You have to, you have to believe every word you say, know why you're saying it. You know how I put down, here's what you're thinking before you sing? You have to do that. It all comes from inside. And if you really and truly believe what you're doing, it's going to come across the footlights. It's different than just singing the song. We sell. Uh, we become, and it's something that happens. It's happening now with the harmonizers, again. I can see it. People still say, how do you want me to look, Jerry? And I won't answer. Uh, I, I won't answer that question. I say, just feel it, you know, because first of all, you don't want robots up there, and you don't want anybody looking like anybody else. 
everybody's uh, thoughts and, and mannerisms and, and portrayal is going to be different than the person next to them. You want that, but you want it to be honest. So, yeah, I won't let them be mechanical if I can possibly help it. I'll just ask them to use life experiences and just delve deep into yourself and, and be that person and say the line, and it's going to come out right. And people are going to believe you. So, so how do you keep from being overly dramatic or uh, you know, feeling like you need to project uh, something into the audience and in so doing you over overact or over or move more than you should? Probably, this is going to sound funny, but self-consciousness has a lot to do with this with the men. They tend to not go overboard. Sometimes they do, and then I'll, I'll bring them back. Basically, again, it's the honest feeling of what you're doing. I mean, if you're a comic person in real life and very outgoing, it'll come across. I try to get the guys not to be self-conscious about what they're doing, but down deep, it's difficult for them to show emotion. And there's always that little bit of holding back, which you really don't get with the women. And I love that. And that, to me, is the vulnerability that comes across. Um, they're all little things tied up, little little things that all just kind of work together. And when you finally break through that barrier and take a chance, and it's honest and from the heart, it just seems to be right. Now, Jerry, a while ago you mentioned that uh, you took the harmonizers from, uh, in your first coaching gig, you took the harmonizers from sixth place the year before to first place the next year. Uh, here you are, a non-barbershopper, uh, completely outside of the society. And, and, of course, this is well before my barbershop time. But uh, what did it look like then? Are you suddenly a rock star in the society coaching realm? <laughs> well, I guess so. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I hate I hate this part. Um, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, because then you know, I, Masters wanted me to work with them in VM, and and uh, and that's when I started working at Harmony College. I was just different, and I was a woman. Remember that I was the only woman at Harmony College. The first ten years I was there, there were no other women but me, sixty men and me. You know, um, I was kind of an oddity, probably. I don't know. Scotty made me artistic director because he. I was an advisor for a long time, and and then some people wouldn't take my advice, <laughs> and Scotty wanted them to, so he he made me artistic director, which didn't make any difference from what I was doing. I mean, I just I just I guess uh, I guess they trusted me a little bit more, um, but they did trust, and I I guess I somehow got them to believe in me and trust me because you can't do anything without trust. And uh, when we got those goals, uh, they would have stood on their head for me if I'd asked them to. Um, they were just wonderful. And once you sing right and properly and, and get the feeling of knowing the audience is right with you, uh, you just don't want to go back and do anything else. It's just so exciting and so wonderful. So I guess, I guess uh, that kind of went out through the society. And I got a lot of jobs and a lot of offers to work. I kind of kept it down to about one or two. I, I remember, I won't mention names, but we were at a, um, a convention and someone asked me how many uh, courses I was working with. And I said, well, just one. And uh, he said, well, I'm working with six. And I said, oh, good, then they'll all look alike and we'll win. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> that's, 
That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this wasn't part of the interview, but you mentioned Scotty, and uh, what an incredible uh, surprise last week. Uh, I think I guess Scotty lives in Florida somewhere now, but uh, uh, he surprised the course. I, I guess you and Joe were the only ones that, that knew that he was uh, coming up. But uh, you know, you had us do a closed drill, a closed eye drill for the uh, for the ballad uh, early in the rehearsal. And when everyone opened their eyes, there's Scotty standing, and uh, what an emotional time for the chorus to uh, for for an incredible surprise like that. Yes, he's he's. He's wonderful. Before I started work with the chorus, he asked me to work with vaudeville, uh, which was really wonderful. That was a, a he came in second uh, at international uh, and third, and uh, they were wonderful. Uh, and so he got to know the way I worked and saw that I knew what I was doing before he let me take over and do what I was doing, you know, with the chorus, which I certainly understand that. So he believed in me. Uh, totally uh, from day one when I was with the chorus and really let me fly. He always let me do whatever I wanted to do and try things that hadn't been done, hadn't been done before. I mean, we started the second, the second time we went to uh, International for the second gold. Uh, I had the, the whole, the curtain open and the guys were facing the back. Everybody had their back to the audience. And I mean, that's kind of scary. And Scotty is there in front of them. And, you know, will he, will they see him? Well, I had it done so they could see him, but still, you know, and that was nobody's sweetheart. And we swung around and just attacked the chorus. And so we did things like that, that were different. And he just, uh, let me do it. And because he was so open and, and let me go, the chorus trusted me. I mean, if he trusted me, then they would. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons we, we could do what we did, and we were we were right on the page uh, and in the moment all the time because uh, he trusted me so much. Being in uh, Broadway and shows for so many years, I assume you still keep up with uh, with that the Broadway scene and dancing and acting and so forth. Uh, what do you use for inspiration now? Uh, you know, how often do you get to uh, get to involve involve yourself in those other genres? Well, uh, we go. We have a place in New York at the Manhattan Club, and we go three times a year and see all the Broadway shows, uh, musicals, and whatever. Um, go to Kennedy Center all the time. Uh, the Symphony. I am trained in music too. I'm a, I started piano when I was, I guess, four. So I'm not only just a choreographer, I actually know music very well and have played for years. So I think that helps a lot, too. I'm into any kind of music. I, I just keep watching, and I learn something just about every day, something new, which I think is important. And I watch the guys to see what it is they want to do, more so than trying to get them to do what I want to do, if that makes sense. They can. They kind of tell me with their body language and what have you. Uh, that's definitely the way I work with quartets. I don't ever tell them what to do. I finally end up telling them what they told me they wanted to do. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Jerry, what's the process look like when you when you get a new song? How do you deconstruct it and decide what the message is and and where you're going to go with uh, with a new song? Well, I'm very lucky. It's very easy for me. Um, I, I read the song. That's why when I, when I give it to you guys, I give it in poetic form. I read it like a poem. And actually, it, it just comes to me. I, I don't know how to explain it. Um, 
I listen to the music. I listen to all the parts. I read it. And I also go to the Library of Congress a lot and, and read up on when it was written and by who and maybe why or how. You know, with uh, the one we're doing right now, um, I, I just got, I delved into the Frank Sinatra part of it and the, and the whole uh, Hoagie Carmichael part of it. I just get, I just kind of uh, get to know it, you know, just put myself into that singer's place and I kind of know what to do. And then when I teach it, I can see if the group feels the same way. And I can kind of tell by when they sing it, I can hear it in their voices, uh, how they want to perform it. That, that probably doesn't make sense to you, but it's, it's, I'm very fortunate that I can do that. I can, yeah, the visualization in me is just incredible. I'm very lucky. So you, you've been able to watch the Society and the, the Harmonizers for however many years, 1985 when they first won, and your you first coaching and first influence on them, understanding, um, you know, teaching them how to understand the song and really live the message of the song and not try to manufacture something else in your performance. Uh, have we, uh, as as a group, uh, the harmonizers got it now? As a society, do we understand it completely now, or do we still have a ways to go? Oh, we have a ways to go. There's all, we can always be better. I feel we're getting a little bit too movement-oriented without a reason, just for excitement. I love the excitement. I love the youthfulness that's coming across and the young people that are that are uh, uh, singing it, they can get away with it. That's wonderful. That's a little bit difficult for older people. I still think that we make way too much out of presentation, like it's a chore. It's not. It's so easy. It's just so easy. And when I work with people and they think, oh, well, now we have to put in movement, <laughs> you know, sort of thing, because we are a performing society, they get they get uptight about it and they just throw moves in for moves sake and they're not doing that as much as they used to but some of them are still doing it and it's a shame because it's so easy i mean i just i i just will give them a little bit of a scenario and tell them to sing the song and darn if they don't sing it right uh as far as movement is concerned i give them a character and tell them to be with an attitude and tell them to do that without telling me what moves to make. I don't know whether you've seen me do those exercises or not, but they all come alive and they all do it right. And it's fun. And they have fun doing it. And, uh, and that's really all it is. I mean, yeah, then, then we can <clears throat> put up, you know, make big production numbers and stuff like that to entertain the audience, if that's the way they want to go. The harmonizers love that. They love performing. Uh, some courses I work with don't. So I just kind of stay simple with them. And, uh, and give as much as, as they need. But I can tell the ones that really want to do that and the kind of that have audiences that expect that of them. The harmonizers have an audience that expects them to entertain them. Half of that is probably my fault, but there, there it is. It's, we've been doing it for many, many years, and the audience loves it and the guys love it. So with the harmonizers, you know, I kind of know what I, what I should do with them. With others, I give them a choice. I tell them, you know, which, which, which way do you want to go? You, you want to stay real barbershop and just do a few moves, or do you want to go all out? And they, they tell me what they want, and that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, thinking of the pop music, you know, I, I watch uh, American Idol from time to time and the, the Dancing with the Stars thing, but uh, um, 
when you watch the pop music and the pop world, uh, what do you see as far as understanding how to sell the song, or do they just go through the motions? Are they just screaming? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some do. You know, I mean, Barbara Streisand and Frank Sinatra from the old times, or some of them just were incredible when they were singing. I learned a lot from that. Nowadays, some of them are really, really good. Others are just have no idea what they're doing. I have a problem with American Idol because every time I've turned it on, it's just been so awful that I turn it off. Um, I don't like also the way the judges belittle uh, the contestants. I mean, my gosh, uh, how awful is that? Uh, I don't think that's necessary. But um, I like to see uh, people grow. Uh, I watched Dancing with the Stars this time, and I actually saw three or four of the finalists go from being having no idea what to do to really being good, and that's wonderful. American Idol, I just, uh, so much of it is just show, and that bothers me a little bit. Actually, my niece uh, uh, tried out for it. She's got a gorgeous voice, and she didn't make it, but the audition was just horrible, she said, just absolutely horrible. Things went on that were gross. She just couldn't believe it. I don't like that. I mean, I, and she didn't like it. I, I don't, you know, if that's what it is and they have no more control and they think that's funny, I don't go for that. Yeah. Well, I, Jerry, I really do appreciate you spending some time with me today and uh, uh, got a newfound respect for what all you've been through and the uh, the story of your life and what you have to contribute to us as a, as a uh, coach. Um, if you had one thing to say to choruses or quartets across the society, whoever might be listening, what, uh, what would your word of advice be? Don't be afraid. Uh, let go. Make the song come alive. Um, don't try to force the song. Um, and don't try to put, put what you want in the song. Listen to the song and let it tell you what it wants you to do. I really and truly believe that. So much goes into to creating a song. It, it's a masterpiece. It's, it's, uh, it's years and years of work. And, and we're, we're there to, to bring it out and share it with the audience and let them see the glory uh, of that beautiful piece of music uh, that's there. And I think half the time that doesn't happen. And I think a lot of people are very, very self-conscious on stage. And if they leave themselves off stage and just come on as the song, uh, they won't be self-conscious, and they'll they'll just do it right. There's no one way. Everybody's going to do it differently, and that's how it should be. Basically, I just think that don't be afraid and let go. Well, on that note, I'll say thanks for taking time out of your busy Memorial Day weekend. I hope you have the rest of your weekend goes well, and uh, thanks very much for your time today. Well, you're more than welcome. I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Jerry. See ya. Okay, bye. Blue skies up above, why everyone's in love. Up a lazy river, how happy you can be. Oh, up a lazy river with me. Well, thanks again for tuning in to the show today. There are some tickets still left for the Choir of the World concert. And if you are outside of the uh, area... And it's too far to drive. We are going to be webcasting the show. Go to alexandriaharmonizerspresent.com to either get tickets or sign up for the webcast. 
We want to hear from you. If you have feedback about the show, we would love to hear it. Skype ID is Harmacast, or you can call 703-794-2730 and leave a voice message, or just record something into an MP3 file on your computer and email to info at harmacast.com. We would love to have some tag teaching segments. If you can do four-part recording and would like to teach a tag, uh, send that to me, and I'll include it on the show also. Again, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time. The mind is a powerful thing. Think of the 99% you don't use.